We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bivens, VP of Sales at Pioneer X. Today, I'm here with Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Howland, SVP of Clinical Strategy and Development. Today, we're here with Scott Pace, co-owner of Cavanaugh Pharmacy and partner at the Impact Management Group. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. Good. How are y'all doing? Good. Josh, what is this on your arm? I see. Uh, he's, oh, he's got a little colors, artwork. I've got a, I've got a bruise. It looks like it. Did you get something new? No, it's been there uh, what, five, six years. I don't know. Too long. It's just, uh, you know. It's uh, there forever at this point. It is, yeah. <laughs> it was just, you know, memories of a of a more impressive youth. Kudos to you for having an impressive youth. <laughs> Look good at I, I didn't say it was impressive. I said it was more impressive. Oh, more <laughs> Those modifiers it, are important. Yeah. <laughs> I recently had, so I work with the Flip the Pharmacy cohort in Arkansas as well. And, you know, Megan Smith does like a a weekly office hours. So we jumped on um, and I just hired a new pharmacist to cover for um, my current clinical pharmacist um, maternity leave. And he happens to be from Arkansas. Who's that? Uh, A guy named Holden Graves. He went to pharmacy school there. Victoria uh, knows. Yeah, yeah. Victoria, so, yeah. And that was a weird part. So Victoria was on the office hours and she was asking questions and Holden happened to be on there and he was her intern. <laughs> I was like, man, you just, you can't, pharmacy is the weirdest small place on the planet. Like, pretty pretty small thought? group of people. Yeah. She said she's ready to take him back when we're. Dude, Holden's smart. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to get rid of him, but the kid is bright. Yeah. yeah. That's good. He's That's smart good. enough we... to move to Dallas too. Ouch. <laughs> oh, Ouch. man. Yeah. How'd those Texas football teams? <laughs> I do knew that was coming next, man. Yeah, I yeah. knew that was coming what, next. What am I supposed to say to that, Mark? <laughs> they, of course. They, they did not do well. My <laughs> my Longhorns looked pretty terrible. Yeah. And the funny part was when we watched the Longhorn game, we were like, man, either Texas is really bad or Arkansas is really good. And it turned out that it was a combination of both of those things. <laughs> we did not look very good uh, against Georgia this weekend. Well, I mean, uh, that's, was, that's no like, one does. Though. Like it's Georgia, I mean, though, right? Like. like that's like playing a, a middle school team against a college team. It's not going to go well for most people. Yeah, they're 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 a beast this year. They they look like they're Alabama like. They uh, do. So yeah. that's a uh, good 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 for them. I'm glad they're uh, the SEC is having some uh, some success this season. That's sure. Yeah. Like that's a good. Year. They never do. It's really a shame. It's been a while since <laughs> yeah. the SEC. Yeah, been no, good. clearly. Yeah, it's been a good minute since they've won just, anything. Just just wait until Oklahoma and Texas join. It'll be it'll be great. I know. Yeah. Be. I, I don't know who was drinking that weekend to make that decision you're like come on guys like now the sec is going to be the what do you call it the like the english premier league you the the power conference i don't know much about english football uh, other than what i have learned from ted lasso so i can't really speak much (laughs) to uh, all right i don't have an i believe behind me but i would right i mean that is what a great show so good to the one weird episode this year but um i don't know if you watched that one i haven't seen that one yet no i haven't uh, 
the assistant coach. It was basically all about him. Oh yeah, Beard oh, After dang. Dark. That was a yeah, that was an was interesting. Beard. Was it dark? Was it a dark episode? Uh, it, so it was after. Are you kind of? Well, I'm, you, I'm like five episodes behind that. But. So no, you're not. Caught no, up. I'm not caught up. All right. Well, it I comes. Like out, it comes after a, a brutal loss, and Beard goes out into the city and does some weird stuff. <laughs> all right. As Beard is yeah. prone to He's do. He's kind of do, he he does that. All right. We probably should actually yeah. start the real thing. I apologize <laughs> okay, for no, digressing no. into Ted Lasso. You're good. You're good. We will have to try to work in some uh, some UT Arkansas. I'll say this before we leave that. Even if the season ended today, it's a pretty good year. Like you get to beat both UT and AM in the same year. That's that's solid. Yeah. Like, I mean, and look, we're only two team. wins away from bowl eligibility, and we've got uh, a couple of cupcakes. Well, should be cupcakes in right. front of us. And so I, I mean, knock on something. I'm knocking on not, something. Yeah. Yeah. Not fake wood here. Yeah. Right but, uh, yeah it's, it, but it's been a good season. Coach Pittman has uh, gotten us off to a, a great start, and it kind of feels it's the first season in my son's lifetime who just turned 10 last week where he can remember the Razorbacks actually winning because they haven't for the last decade. So yeah. it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's fun for him. It's Yeah. That's true. Well, you know, it's funny. So we can actually tie this back to, you know, pharmacy and the podcast a little bit. Mark and I were talking about, you know, when Arkansas brought in this coach, it, this was a guy who cared about Arkansas. He cares about the school. He had some like personal investment to it. And surprise, it shows that he actually cares about the program. They're doing much better than a couple of other dudes who just walked in because it was a, you know, a D1 job. So, you know, it's, kind of surprising that you do better if you actually care about the things you're you're doing in life it's mind-blowing it, that's that's a, that's a lesson for many industries i think that's a point well taken josh for sure um all right so for those who don't know um this is scott's second time on our podcast so and it was only i was telling josh um it was only 10 months ago i think you were on around that and this year's been so long. It was like I, I, you would have told me if it was eighteen months ago. I would have been like, oh, okay, cool. Um, you it, were, it feels like it was about three and a half years ago, to be honest. With <laughs> you. This has been <laughs> such a year, right? Like for you guys more than us, probably. Um, so, for, for a real quick recap, there though, uh, uh, Scott's a pharmacist and a lawyer. So I'm going to get my lawyer questions in at the end of this. I've got some pending uh, infractions I need to talk <laughs> through. Um, I can't help you with parking tickets. (laughs) No. um, And then he also co-owns Cavanaugh Pharmacy in Little Rock there with his wife, um, Ann Pace. And he's the CEO, former CEO of Arkansas Pharmacists Association um, and now partner at the Impact Management Group. So uh, that is he was on last time, really like right after the 8-0 decision from, you know, probably a month after, a few weeks after. Yeah, um, it was early January. Yeah, the 8-0 decision of Rutledge uh, versus PCA, or if I have that backwards, I'm sorry. Um, and kind of on the that was on the backs of the heels of Act 900 after uh, before that. So um, we have a lot to follow up. You're also one of the first people that kind of went, on, went all in on kind of go uh, vaccine efforts, ultra low freezer, the Pfizer kind of being the first one out the gate. looks like you called, right? Yeah, no, that, that, that's right. That's, that's right. We talked a little bit about that in January about kind of that process of taking a gamble on that. And that, that certainly uh, helped us get access to that vaccine early. We were one of the first five pharmacies in Arkansas uh, to get access to the vaccine, I think on December 14th. So um, it, that, that feels like about forever and a day ago, but uh, yeah, we've gone through, 
um, more than a few uh, uh, vials of Pfizer vaccine over the last uh, 10 months. <laughs> more than a few. Just a, just a few. Just a few. Yeah. Just a few. So what's going to happen with the ultra-low temperature freezer? Well, that's, that's a great question. We actually just got three new trays of Pfizer vaccine yesterday, so we're still right. uh, crank, cranking those out uh, with, with the boosters uh, rolling out. We reopened our vaccine center. Uh, at some point, we'll... Uh, um, I don't know what we'll do with it. We thought about selling dipping dots, maybe Josh, uh, you know, those, those need to be super cold uh, and with That's malls true. closing, where are people going to go to get their dipping dots? I so love dipping dots. Yeah, they've we, been we the ice cream like of the future for the last two decades. I really do. Though. Yeah, exactly. Right. So they didn't say how far in the future they were going to be, but <laughs> there you have it. No, I don't know what we're going to do with it. I mean, at this point, uh, we may bronze it and just, uh, you oh, know, put yeah. it out front as a, as a memento to the, uh, uh, to the to the vaccine efforts related to COVID, and you know, I wish I had one of these with me. But we did a little memento for our uh, for our uh, volunteers at the vaccine center. You know, we opened a vaccine center. I think I talked about that yep. in, on the episode that we did in, in January. We ran about thirty thousand uh, doses of vaccine through our vaccine center from uh, January second through. Um, sometime in the middle of June, whenever we closed it down as demand waned, and we kept virtually every empty vial of uh, Pfizer vaccine that we had used. Oh. And I had no idea what we were going to do with it. I thought, oh, maybe we'll make something something cool out of it. And as we were trying to figure out some nice little uh, trinket to give our, our um, uh, volunteers who helped throughout the process, I found a company out of Toronto that would encase just about anything in Lucite. So I sent um, empty vials of Pfizer vaccine across the border to Canada uh, and had them in, in uh, which that was another story unto itself, by the way, because they had to get through customs and you had right. to fill the vials with something because otherwise the pressure of the Lucite would crush them. But anyway, they, they got through they got through clean and came back clean. But um, they, we, we made these little uh, three inch by inch and a half by inch and a half little uh, mementos that have a, a vial of, of Pfizer, uh, empty vial of Pfizer vaccine encased in them and gave them to each of our volunteers uh, as, a, as a memento of thanking them for their help, but is also a sign that, you know, they changed six people's lives uh, by helping them uh, be, become protected against COVID. And it, we got more positive feedback from our volunteers for that little, you know, thoughtful Thoughtful gift. I wish I had. I wish I had one sitting here to show you. I don't have one uh, in my office what, at home. What is yeah. what is Lucite? What is that? What is that? I don't know. It's just like an it's epoxy, the, clear plastic. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay, cool. I was. Just, they they Han Soloed them. If you're a Star Wars nerd, <laughs> noted. Noted. My, my Siri, my Siri just thought I asked it a question. <laughs> Maybe she was trying to interject. She was, she was trying, trying to, to tell you what Lucite is. Question. She was trying. I don't think I said Siri. What is Lucite? Man, so I can't like. I really want to get a like the surveillance video of the custom agent opening the box and look right? like you're illegally importing COVID vaccine into Canada. On it, honestly, we had to put about you know two mils of of uh, normal saline. I had to order. Uh, normal saline uh, just to just to inject back into these empty vials and so I, I wonder what they thought when they opened that and they saw a hmm. fluid uh, rattling around in there for for any mounties watching it, it was normal saline i promise <laughs> i swear i promise um all right so lots kind of change i'd like to just kind of talk through with you let you kind of talk about you know that we were on the cusp of like vaccines really ramping up the last time we talked to you you're doing a ton of testing already before that Kind of what's changed in the pharmacy? I know you guys are doing monoclonal antibodies. You've got boosters. You've got this, I know, this flu slash COVID test coming out. I don't know if it's already out. But, can you, yeah, kind of just can you talk through a little bit kind of what's different now? 
Yeah, well, I think the, the big thing that was different for us is, like I told you, we had our vaccine center um, for you know, from January through June that we were able to kind of offload that large volume of vaccines out of the pharmacy. Uh, and from June up until a week and a half ago when we reopened the vaccine center to handle boosters, we had to re-onboard, <laughs> if you will, all that vaccine back into our normal pharmacy workflow, which still had the testing that was going on, although mm-hmm. at a much lower volume plus our normal pharmacy business. Um, and so that, that was a little bit of a challenge for us to you know, adjust our workflow yet again uh, to, to bring that back in-house. We also had to adjust to not having the, um, uh, the volunteers to assist or the other pharmacists that we had hired full-time to run the vaccine center. It was just a challenge just to, just to change the positioning of it. And then from a, from a safety operational perspective, uh, but also from a services uh, expansion, we started offering Moderna and J&J, which we really didn't do at the vaccine center. We were pretty much Pfizer exclusively. So, you know, that changed our online scheduling process, uh, having multiple different vaccines, differentiating first or second. Um, uh, and But we also used it as an opportunity to uh, do home visits uh, that we weren't able to, oh. to really do uh, before. So, Multiple times a week, we'll have one of our pharmacists go out to uh, to patients' homes. We try to bundle two or three family members at the same time. Uh, but typically, I mean, we did one last week where, you know, a 95-year-old patient who had been in the ho- hospital for a, a cardiac issue, never been vaccinated, needed to get vaccinated. And once they were home and stable, um, had a family member call. And, and we got out there and got, got that patient taken care of and two other family members. So, you know, it's freed us up a little bit too. To as the volume has decreased, to be able to do other other services related to the COVID vaccines. And then, as you mentioned, monoclonal antibodies, Mark. You know, we we jumped on that. We certainly weren't the first jumping on that. One of one of my colleagues in uh, Central Arkansas, Blake Torres in in Benton. I don't know if y'all know Blake or not. He he has Westside Pharmacy and several other stores. They jumped in head first and uh, were doing the infusion of the uh, Region Cove. Um, as the first store in the state and just did a great job with that. We jumped in and started doing the, the subcutaneous mm-hmm. uh, monoclonal antibodies. And uh, I wouldn't say that we've had just a, a massive response to that. There's a lot of providers in, in our area that are doing that. But, you know, it's, been, it's made a, an, an important difference in the health of the people that, that have gotten it uh, and not progressed into more serious uh, COVID, many of those who have been unvaccinated. So that's, that's also been a really fun new addition to uh, to our offerings. And what's so fun about that um, in, in our state is that we tried to figure out how pharmacists could could initiate that therapy, prescribe that um, without having to get a physician's order uh, or to work under sort of collaborative uh, arrangement. And, you know, it's a Josh, you mentioned at the beginning how small the state of Arkansas is. Well, you know, I talk with John Vinson, who's the CEO of the Arkansas Pharmacist Association all the time and John Kirtley who is the head of our board of pharmacy. And the three of us had been, you know, bantering about for several weeks about uh, the, the monoclonal antibodies and how to get us to be able to prescribe it. And it just so happened that they'd been working on an angle. And I was at the health department one day for another meeting and stopped in to say hi to our state's uh, head epidemiologist before I left. And I asked her what I could help her with. And she said, help us figure out how to unlock this monoclonal antibody issue. And so we just sat there kind of, you know, shooting the bull for a little bit. Mm. Uh, and I said, well, Dr. Dillahaye, the real challenge here is that pharmacists need to be able to have the prescriptive authority to to do this. And I don't think our law allows it right now. And she goes, well, it's just an immunization. 
she goes, vaccines are active immunity and immunizations are passive immunity. And it was like a light bulb went on over my head. And I said, well, I've never really thought of the differentiation between vaccines and immunizations. But now that you mentioned that, our Pharmacy Practice Act statute um, clearly breaks out vaccines as being separate from immunizations. And she goes, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, it's vaccines, comma, immunizations uh, under the authority phrase. And she said, well, if that's the case, she goes, an immunization is passive immunity. We're giving people the antibodies that they would otherwise create okay. themselves uh, through this um, region cove. And she goes, let me talk to some people internally. And I said, well, I'll talk to Vincent at the association and currently at the Board of Pharmacy. Let's see if we can't you know, solve this uh, puppy uh, here. And so I talked to the association and the board and they were like, that's great. We've been trying to figure out an angle and, and Dr. Dillahay may have unlocked this. And she talked to the people within the health department and then the board and the health department talked. And within about 48 hours, uh, we had a, a decision from the Department of Health that, in fact, Regen Cove is an immunization, just one that provides passive immunity. And the Board of Pharmacy agreed with that interpretation. And in, you know, two wow. blinks of an eye, it seems, uh, pharmacists had the ability to prescribe under existing statutory authority in our state, all because we've got this great close-knit community of, uh, of folks who talk and know folks and um, can think outside the box. And that's, you know how all of a sudden um, pharmacists could prescribe that before the federal government came out with their, you know, proclamation giving us the authority to do so. So that's been kind of an exciting uh, thing this last uh, six weeks, too. That just kind of was a happenstance um, uh, uh, thing that worked out with our association and board and Department of Health. I feel like somebody should have mic dropped and the epidemiologist should have said, boom, lawyered. <laughs> Just, <laughs> she, she's, you know, she is awesome, by the way. Dr. Dillahay has, she's one of the, the most meek personalities you could ever hope to, uh, to meet, but she is as sincere as the day is long, has worked her tail off for the last, you know, two years uh, in, in a bureaucratic role. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but I just mean, right. you know, that's, that's mm -hmm. just kind of what, where she is. Uh, she's been recognized by our state pharmacy association for her dedication to the profession of pharmacy. I mean, it's, cool. she's really been very, very inclusive, uh, and was one of the big advocates for, you know, pharmacists being the frontline providers of, of the immunizations at the onset of the, of the immunization push, uh, in December and January. So she's, we're really, really fortunate to have her leadership at the department of health. Yeah. That, that's super cool. Like I would have never made that leap. Right. I, it didn't it didn't cross my mind either. I was trying to figure out how to how to make it work within certain exemptions and getting the board of pharmacy and the medical right. board to to work together or getting the governor to issue an executive order. And in one just kind of happenstance sentence where she said, well, it's basically just a, an immunization that just provides passive immunity. It's like, you know, if if LED bulbs could go on and, you know, eight tenths of a second or whatever that's or, or faster that's what happened and then it's like bink light bulb oh, wow. and uh and we started we started going forward with it and and got it to got it to authority in a couple of days and that's because of the, the great folks at the board and the association and the department of health so that was that was good stuff no kidding that's quick too a couple yeah. of days like it it just kind of goes to show you that like when there's a real impetus to do something it can be done fairly quickly when it's yeah, man, it might have toiled for months with debate and committees and you're just like a bunch of people wanting to do the same sure. thing. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it.
Yeah, and we had a physician in the legislature, a guy named Dr. Lee Johnson, who was very supportive of that. Uh, he's an ER, an ER doc who saw what was happening in the hospitals around the state and understood the need. The State Hospital Association, um, you know, at the time we had this huge delta uptick in, in Arkansas, like mm-hmm. a lot of the other country, part of the country is, is having right now. And our hospitals were full. We didn't have emergency room, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, um, ICU beds available in the state, and they were just begging for help. And so it was the f- perfect place for not just pharmacies but or, and pharmacists, but uh, physicians, clinics who hadn't offered those types of services before to really expand their offering and take care of people and preserve access to our hospitals for not just COVID patients, but all the other patients that needed access to uh, to those facilities. So that's to me, that's going to be one of my favorite memories out of, of, of this last couple of years is um, is something like that happening through collaboration? Because that's really, at the end of the day, what what the policymaking process should be about. Right. Right. So I, I kind of want to go on the other side of that for a minute. You know, like we're we're seeing a lot of healthcare worker burnout. You know, nurses and doctors and pharmacists. Um, you know, you look on any social media, and pharmacists who work retail right now are probably the most unhappy they've ever been. Um, so, how's your staff doing? Well, thanks for asking about that first. I mean. They're burnt out, man. I mean, I don't know how to say that um, any other way. Um, they're they're tired. My wife, uh, chief chief among them, being tired. Uh, we have certainly taken some some vacations over this this summer, um, and it's like the first day back from the vacation. It's like you can just almost feel the the walls collapsing down around Pressure you very very higher. very quickly. Um, and and so and and part of that part of that reason is that obviously they're working long hours. Um, they're doing very important work and, and patients are, um, you know, they're scared and want to be taken care of and want to get access to a vaccine. And in those early days of the vaccine, when the supply was limited, it was a little bit of, you know, hunger games there. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it, it was zero sum at, 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 at the beginning, right? It's not necessarily that way now, but if, if I get one, you don't, that was kind of how mm-hmm. it was in January and February and March. And that was stressful. And then you flash forward to what's happened the last you know, four to six weeks um, with uh, with the Biden administration saying, hey, boosters are going to be available starting September 20th. And then all of a sudden, September 20th gets here and we're not close to boosters yet. And mm-hmm. and all that does is increase the noise in the in the pharmacy with phone calls and people looking to us to have answers and and having to reset their expectations based upon something they heard on the news. And uh, you know, that's been a real challenge to to deal with on top of still filling prescriptions correctly and timely and taking care of, you know, the sick kid who walked in the door and being empathetic and taking the time with them and still running a business and still managing your staff, still looking for staff in a time when, right. when hiring is. And we can talk about that in a second if you want to. That's super uh, difficult. So I think all of those stressors have really weighed heavily, not just on the pharmacists, but on the techs and the clerks and the delivery people. Um, and uh, it, it's tough. We've actually talked about having some just some social outings with our staff uh, here in the next month or so, just kind of as a, as a team building. But people are tired. Mm-hmm. We've bonused our people a lot um, over the last 18 months, just as a show of an appre- of appreciation, because we know they're working um, them, themselves uh, to death. And and I think they appreciate it. I don't know how else to, you know, to show them appreciation. I don't know if a massage or something like that would be appropriate, but they can 
they can at least go out and spend what we've what we've given them from time to time. And we just think that's appropriate to recognize their hard work. So it doesn't change the fact, though, Josh, that they're still tired mm-hmm. um, and, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. We uh, we closed that vaccine center, like I was telling you, in, in June and in July, we took a vacation the first of the first part of July. And while we were gone, we got a, a phone call from our uh, pharmacist who was who was running the shop while we were gone saying, hey, the testing has really gone up this week. The, the Delta variant seems to be a lot more prevalent than we thought it was going to be in Arkansas. And from you know the time we were on vacation and we got back the next week, our testing business was almost 50 to 60 percent what it was last fall whenever we were at our peak of oh, testing. Wow. So it's like we just had enough time to get our head above water um, after the vaccines had slowed down to turn around and testing had ramped back up. And as testing started going back down, the boosters were approved. We reopened the vaccine center and the monoclonal antibodies were happening. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's not just us, by the way, that's every, yeah, for sure. every, every location yeah. in the, in the, in the country, independent and chain. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I feel bad for our chain brethren um, who are also being asked to do the same type of work, but are doing it with much less staff than, um, yeah. than the independents are, are, uh, are having to face it with. And so I, I know that that burnout has got to be um, at, at high, high levels because a lot of my friends who, who work for chains just, just tell me how, um, how exhausted and, and done they are, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah, I I was in a a store that was similar to that the other day and just walked through and I I always kind of walk by the pharmacy just to see what's going on and they they looked like zombies back there. All three of them like in this particular pharmacy has a It is close to Halloween. A, yeah. Do you think that had anything to do with it? Yeah, well this <laughs> one has this one is the chain that has the phone that talks to you and tells you how many calls are in queue. And it, it was just, it was a nightmare. I walked by in like two seconds and I was like, I, yeah, this is horrible. I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it. Well, my, my wife had to call, um, a, a fun three letter, um, yeah. chain a couple of weeks ago to get a transfer. Um, and she was on, on hold for 45 minutes. Um, and the pharmacist picked up and said, uh, how, how can I help you? What do you need? And she's like, I need three, three transfers, please. And she's like, you're gonna have to call back later. I don't, I don't have time for this. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, and certainly that's frustrating on our end, mm-hmm. but I can't even imagine what it's like on the other end of that phone. Having worked for chains early in my career, I mean, th- those metrics are are different. The stress is different. Frankly, the expectation of the customer is different too. You know, patients mm-hmm. are very uh, friendly and generally pretty accommodating with us in the independent store, but I think their mindset is different when they perceive that they're dealing with corporate America. Um, really their tolerance is. isn't as, as much their, uh, I don't know. It's just, a, it's a different type of pharmacy practice. And, and I think they don't necessarily like, unless they really know that person, they just see you as another person. That's like a nameless, faceless person to a degree sometimes, yeah. Yeah. especially if you don't interact a lot with that pharmacist or whatever. Right. You're like I was just in there a couple, like in your experience too, I was just observing. I was like, what are they doing? Like she's just getting reamed. Right. Yeah. She's just getting reamed. She's getting um, beat up to death and she, you could tell she had to go take a minute before she could talk to me. And I was like, okay, all right. Well, um, but yeah, it's, so speaking of, I, I, you kind of talked about staff, um, and staffing. I, I want to talk about kind of labor force stuff just in general, but before that, like, what was it like getting your staff on board with, Hey, we're going to do this monoclonal antibodies. We're going to have COVID positive 
folks. And we're, you know, can you explain a little bit what that was like? Yeah, well, that's actually a really good question. So um, we reopened our vaccine center space mm-hmm. um, to do the monoclonal antibodies because we were really sensitive to not wanting to purposely bring COVID positive patients uh, into the pharmacy space around normal, normal everyday patients. Right. So we brought our pharmacist who had uh, run our vaccine center for us back on board to do monoclonal antibodies. We opened up a certain number of hours each day. And we set up space with um, basically three theater-style chairs for monoclonal antibodies because okay. these patients are going to be there for you know 60 to 90 minutes. We yeah. wanted them to be comfortable. We also wanted to be able to lay somebody flat in case somebody you know got had a had a vagal reaction and felt like they were going to going to pass out after four injections. Um, and so uh, we put medical screens up between each of the chairs. We you know put it had an air purifier that we put back there. Every, we tried to do everything we could to um, make it as, as, as safe of an, of an area as possible. We, you know, got, got a little higher level of prote- um, personal protective equipment in, in place. Um, and, uh, and we just, we asked, we actually hired a new person who was a, a former, um, nurse who had, had retired and wanted to get back in the workforce. So we hired her as a tech actually. Uh, and that was one of the questions that we just were very straight up with. Are you comfortable working around, you know, COVID positive patients, uh, so long as you've, Number one, we want to make sure you're vaccinated. But number two, we want to make sure that they, uh, we have the right equipment in place for you so that you feel protected. Um, and, uh, you know, people have been pretty uh, accommodating to to what patients needs are as much as what their own safety is, which is, I think, you know, that's that's really reassuring. You know, we've certainly gloves, certainly gowns, certainly N95 respirators, face shields, you know, anything that we think will help keep them safe, we make available uh, to that staff uh, who who are working on the COVID patients, and and they're and they're comfortable with it. We haven't had knock on wood any uh, any uh, exposure from fluids or um, it, other than the the nominal close contact that you have while you're injecting people with those subcutaneous uh, um, injections. I've done some of them myself, just because if I'm asking people to do it, I want to make sure that I'm out there um, willing to understand what it's like for mm-hmm. them to do it. Um, and it's, you know, I, I think being vaccinated makes me feel not necessarily invincible, but it makes me feel a lot more comfortable sure. putting myself, uh, in that position. Um, and, and, uh, we've had, we've had good success with that. Um, billing for all that stuff is a different story altogether, yeah. <laughs> but at least, but, but at least getting the labor force, um, you know, out there and, and doing it has been, has been just fine. And we've been very careful by the way to segregate we, our vaccine center is reopened now in that mm. same space. So we segregate the time of when we do those versus when we open it up for the general uh, public coming in for boosters. We have adequate time to clean. Uh, We keep that area at the back, uh, certainly off limits to the people coming in for boosters, even though it's been cleaned. We try to do whatever we can to to mitigate any sort of, of unintended exposure. Right. So actually interesting. So between the last time we talked and and now, um, you know, my family and I have all got vaccinated as soon as we could. My daughter just turned four, so we're still waiting on her. Um, And then, yeah, was it July, August? Or when my in-laws came. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think that was, yeah, like late August. Yeah. Yeah. So in in any case, my my in-laws came and they were supposed to be wearing masks when they were out because they were of the type of people who were choosing not to get immunized. Um, and they clearly didn't, and they came back and they exposed, you know, my wife, myself, my daughter, their 
mother, um, actually both my mother-in-law's mom, my father-in-law's parents, um, and then my sister-in-law's now husband. Um, so three of the five of them got COVID after being vaccinated. Um, they all got like, you know, a, a rough cold for a couple of days, but my in-laws actually got admitted to the hospital and my mother-in-law spent five days in the ICU. And it was just like, man, if you ever needed like actual in front of your face proof that these vaccines really do work well, like I've got literal firsthand exposure that that's true. And it's just, it was crazy. Like these, like my wife spent three days sick, bounced right back. No problem. My mother-in-law still on oxygen. Oh my like, gosh. It's crazy. Well, you know, I think at this point, you know, we're, what feels like nine and a half years into, into the pandemic, Doesn't but it, you know, it, I know, right. It feels like so that, but at, but at the very least we're, we're, you know, not too shy of, of two years, 18, 19 months mm -hmm. at this point. If you're not someone who knows a, a close personal friend or family member who has, has uh, not just had the disease, but had some really bad course of, of, of the disease and how it's impacted them. The, the long haulers are, are really, um, becoming more prevalent and it's kind mm -hmm. of scary to think of what the, the long-term uh, impact of having COVID is. Um, we've got a, I've got a friend who's uh, in the healthcare industry in, in Little Rock whose brother uh, just had a double lung transplant uh, after a terrible um, bout with, uh, with COVID. He probably should have died several times and if he hadn't had, you know, um, wow. good, good advocates on his side, uh, probably wouldn't have gotten into the position he was to be able to get um, uh, lung transplants. One of my good friends from growing up and a uh, guy I graduated from high school with um, got COVID at the end of June and was hospitalized uh, uh, on the 30th of June. Uh, I put put on a ventilator on the 14th of July and died on the on the 24th or 25th of July. And, uh, you know, 44, 45 year old guy who otherwise was healthy, former former military guy, um, just, uh, just not vaccinated. And, you know, those stories are really hard for me to swallow. And personally, I mean, I respect people's right to do what they want to do with their health, but I also really struggle to know what is the, what's the data point that pushes you over the edge to go, you know what? I don't want that to be me. Right. Um, I don't want, I don't want that burden on my family. I don't want that burden on society um, I don't, I don't understand that thinking personally. Uh, and I, I struggle with that. Yeah. I I'm in the same boat. Like I, I would feel insanely guilty if I didn't get vaccinated, got COVID. And if, you know, like if I died and like, eh, that was my fault, right. I, I chose not to do it, but if I infected someone else and they died, I, I couldn't imagine the amount of guilt that you would carry around with that. Or, or, or if you died and, and your four-year-old daughter is left yeah. behind because you made yeah. that decision. I mean, that's, it's not just about self. Um, and that's, and that's before you even talk about the, the economics of, you know, someone going into the hospital and occupying an ER bed or, 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 or going into the ICU and, um, the countless tax dollars that'll be spent on your care. Um, the bed that you're taking uh, when that heart attack patient came in uh, mm -hmm. and couldn't find a, a bed in the, in the ICU or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and, I, and look, I know people have deeply held beliefs and I'm not here trying to profess those. I'm just, you know, telling 
telling you I have a hard time understanding that point of view and I have a hard time, you know, wrapping my head around, um, you know, self over, over society. Um, maybe that's the Rotarian in me that be- truly believes in that uh, service mm-hmm. over, over self, uh, mentality. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's really hard to, hard to wrap my mind around. Same. I didn't yeah. mean to get deep there. Yeah, Josh. I know. Oh, Mark, right. lighten this thing up. Ooh, let's come back. Let's come back a little bit. I was going to get back into kind of, you said you trying to hire. Yeah. yeah. That's the one thing I went to the Kansas pharmacy association. Great, great turnout there. Um, and I think Josh was just, just got back from Pennsylvania's as well. Mm-hmm. And one common thread. Now one person I, I met was fairly immune to it, but almost everybody I met was struggling with staffing, trying to hire, um, can you, can you just kind of talk through a little bit of what, what you're seeing out in your kind of your marketplace or your, your, your group of folks you collaborate with? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, uh, the, the number of people that want to work right now, uh, for whatever reason, uh, seems to be really low. The workforce is just a smaller pot of people right now than, than we're, we're used to it having. And I don't know if that's because of lingering unemployment benefits. I don't know if people have saved up money and don't want to, don't want to, you know, be, be working at all. I don't, I don't know what the reason behind that is. And I don't think anybody has cracked that nut yet, but I will tell you that the overall economics of, of the workforce has changed dramatically over the last two years, regardless of the number of people in it. Um, in central Arkansas, uh, we had a Costco open, okay. uh, which is the first Costco in the state of Arkansas. And, you know, they've got a, a higher than, uh, than the current minimum wage, um, starting, mm-hmm. starting wage for their people. Uh, so that's, which is great for the folks that are working there, but it, it has an effect of kind of reestablishing a benchmark. Um, yeah, your baseline gets wa- reset. For, yeah. For, yep. for those lower wage earners. So I think that's, that's an issue. Um, you've got, you know, fast food restaurants that are struggling to, uh, hire people that have increased their wages, uh, and frankly are starting to offer, um, some, some sign on incentives. If you can believe it, I was up in the Northwest part of Arkansas Wait. in the Fayetteville area. Um, you said a yeah. sign-on incentive for yeah, fast food. Uh, a fast food restaurant? Yeah, I was driving down College Avenue in Fayetteville, uh, up in the, where the University of Arkansas is, about a week and a half ago. And I was driving towards campus, and uh, McDonald's on College had a, uh, it didn't say 99-cent Big Mac or, or right, whatever on right, their right. sign out front. It said $500 um, signing bonus. What? for McDonald's. Um, and, and I know there are some, some uh, nursing home facilities in that part of the state that are offering a $2,500 sign on bonus mm. and are offering, you know, really, really nice hourly wages for, um, for their folks. So, I mean, we're, we're just in a different world when it comes to the economics of hiring. And I say that because it's had, it's caused us to reevaluate, okay, well, if we need a delivery driver, maybe it's not a, a 25, excuse me, maybe it's not a, a 11 or $12 an hour person. Right, I mean, right. you know, maybe, maybe we have to be at 14 or $15 mm-hmm. an hour. And if that's the case, what does that do to our overall, you know, staffing needs in the pharmacy? Can we absorb that cost? Is that something that we have to trim hours elsewhere? So that's, that's a challenge. And then frankly, it's finding people that you want to have come work in your pharmacy is the next challenge. So you know, when, you, when you've got a place where there aren't a lot of people in the job pool to begin with, uh, the ones that are there with all these jobs that are out there, you, you have to ask yourself, why haven't you found 
right. a job yet, or yeah. or why have people not not hired you yet? And it's and so you have to be a little more critical with what you're with what you're considering hiring. Now we've been fortunate. I told you we hired that that uh, retired uh, nurse, but we right. we also had a job posting out there for several weeks. Um, and we had, you know, a, a handful of applicants and, and they were good applicants. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it wasn't the 20 that we would have had, yeah. um, right. you know, two years ago, it was, it was a handful. Uh, and we also hired a, a new, you know, clerk billing tech who just happens to be a, a college student whose schedule, uh, she's going to school two days a week for school. So she's taking 15 hours, but doing it two days a week. So she's working the days that she's off and she wants to pursue a career in pharmacy. So those kind of fall in your lap, but, but they're not necessarily the, the, the easiest ones to find. So it's been a real challenge and I, I, our story is not unique. I bet everybody's in that same boat right now. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we're not, yeah. we're not really out of that boat either. Yeah, we're I mean, not we're even, in, yeah. you know, we're in Dallas and, you know, initially there was like, you know, do people want to work? What's going on? And, you know, Texas kind of led the charge and, YOLOing the uh, cutting the early um, unemployment benefits. So that's been gone and it didn't really affect people coming into the workforce at all. And, you know, we were talking to one of the recruiters trying to hire um, a software developer and they were basically, they basically told us, you know, two years ago you'd put out an ad for a software developer and you'd get 20 applicants. You had a couple of, you could walk them through, Hey, you're going to interview with this group of people. Then a couple of days later, you're going to interview with this group of people. And then, you know, then you have some time to deliberate and go. And she was like, the world's changed now. So you're going to get like three applications. You're going to do an interview on the day of, and if you don't make an offer that day, that person won't be available the next day. It's just a, it's a, it's a wild, like the range marriage. It's like asking somebody to get married <laughs> during the date, right? Yeah, like yeah, you don't even get to go marriage. on the first date. Yeah. You're like, I think this that is shows your guy. on FX now. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. FX if does that were, has, uh, yeah. <laughs> I would say they've so. got those kind of shady. They, shows, they do. Know? They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, no, but, second but, I think, but I think that's right. And even, even pharmacists, I've talked to, I was talking to a hospital pharmacy manager, uh, up in the northern part of the state about two weeks ago. And I just asked him, you know, how, how his uh, staffing was. And he said they're down a couple of pharmacist positions uh, and they're used to being flooded with applications over the last three or four years. And he said, while they still have eight or 10, you know, he commented that um, they, they may not be the the right fit right. For, for the job of the eight or 10 that are available. So they're trying mm-hmm. to some sometimes fit square pegs and round holes just to be able to have uh, enough staff to to support their um, their their clinical needs. So you know that's uh, it's a challenge across the board, uh, sure. and I don't know what the solution is because I'm I'm with you, Josh. I think it was easy to blame it on the unemployment benefits initially, but mm-hmm. Arkansas was also one of those states that earlier than than others cut off the 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 the, the unemployment benefits because they thought that was having the the drain on the available you know job force. Um, but that's just that it has not right. shown to be the case. And in fact, the head of our state chamber of commerce testified in front of the state legislature uh, last week that there are approximately 70,000 open positions in uh, Arkansas. right wow. now. now. That seemed like an, that seemed like a ton of jobs. It seems like a but, but, huge right. number. Yeah. 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 I thought so too. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And one thing that's where pharmacy is different, you're right. 
you don't get to just set your price for everything you, you, you know what I mean? You can't just go, okay, cool. I got to pay everybody $3 more an hour. Okay. I'm going to make sure I get reimbursed better. Right. That's right. Unfortunately in this industry, you, right. you can't just dial that in. Right? Yeah. You're, it's crazy. Like I got an email from the place who cuts my hair and they were like, Hey, wages have gone up. So effective next time, all of our haircuts will go up by $3. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But you're right. Like you yeah, can't do you that. Can't, you, can't. you can't charge three more dollars per copay. No, not, not at all. And in fact, I've, I, I do lectures uh, at the, at the you know, UAMS College of Pharmacy. I haven't, I haven't in the last year and a half during COVID done a lot of these virtual, but I do an economics lesson. And one of the first things I tell them is that while you may think of community pharmacy as a traditional uh, buy low, sell high retail business, right. um, ha- half of that equation doesn't really exist for, <laughs> for, for community pharmacy. The sell side of of buy low, sell high, it doesn't really exist. So you've really got to maximize your efficiencies. You've got to make sure your cost mm-hmm. of goods are being obtained at the, the lowest possible cost. Then you've got to really get your, your workflow as finely tuned as humanly possible and getting everybody working in sync. And, and that's not always the easiest thing, especially when you can't find people. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So y- I'll, I'll go into kind of, I wanted to ask you, cause you were, I know you guys were one of the first you to adopt like, Hey, we're going to do an appointment based model, put it on our website. I remember last time you talked and you're like, Hey, we, you, you, you put out testing appointments and thinking, I haven't talked about this on social media at all. And, and all of a sudden they're just all taken up. That was, um, yeah. sounds like nine years ago, but, um, has that bled through into anything else like appointment based? Is it, is it kind of bled into other areas of your business to try to kind of like, we're all kind of hoping that a little bit of that is here to stay right. An appointment based model. Yeah. So all of our point of care testing now, even outside of the COVID testing is, is all uh, appointment based. So um, our flu, um, our strep, uh, we do a combo flu COVID that I'm sure others do as well. Um, plus, plus the COVID antigen, COVID PCR, COVID antibodies, all, all of those are appointment based for us. Uh, and, and that really opened the door whenever we started in June or July of last year with the, uh, the COVID testing to, to, to the scheduling. Uh, and while we have not gone that way with flu vaccine, mm-hmm. um, this, this year, um, most of the patients that, that, uh, reach out to us about flu shots now are starting to ask, do we need an appointment? And so we have been, mm-hmm. we have been really, um, slow on our uptake of wanting to schedule appointments because to the, to the, to the workflow point that does create one other piece of workflow. If somebody schedules an appointment that also creates an expectation that when one fifteen gets here and Miss Jones walks in, that you've got all of her paperwork ready, you've got your label printed and that you're ready to go. Um, and frankly, we've just been just overwhelmed enough between our testing and our vaccines for COVID to make sure we've got all of those uh, in place and, and operationalized and ready to go uh, to, to add flu into the mix. And so are we going to get there? Yeah, we're going to get there. We just haven't rolled it out this season. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah right. Well, hey, so, you know, Mark, you were asking about uh, – I'll segue here. Mark, yeah. you were asking about uh, <laughs> scheduling. Um, and I do want to give, you know, Pioneer and Josh uh, some, some props for um, earlier this year. Josh convened a group of – of uh, three uh, Pioneer users from from around the country, uh, an Arkansan, a Texan, and a Pennsylvanian to uh, all oh, come wow. together and talk about um, what we needed around uh, vaccines and testing as it related to the Pioneer ecosystem. Uh, and so what that, what that resulted in was 
feedback being given that the immunization screen now pops up with the ability to input lot and expiration mm -hmm. date and save um, those until they're changed or until the next day. And many of those eligibility check features on that screen, a lot of the, the, the bulk patient uploading process, Josh, I know I'm leaving a bunch of stuff out, but um, that didn't happen just because Pioneer knew exactly what needed right. to be happened. Yeah. I give you guys uh, kudos for, um, you know, just having an informal focus group come together and say, hey, uh, we, we hear that there's there's issues that we can help you guys solve, help us understand those issues. And so those processes have really um, made the the huge amounts of immunizations that we've been billing and, and other pharmacies around the country have been billing so much easier than it would have been otherwise reporting to the immunization registries, et cetera. And so just a big thanks to to, to you, Josh, and your team for uh, for being willing to listen and then being willing to implement in such a timely way. Hey, it was our pleasure. I'm glad we could help get it. I, I will say I haven't seen a 3 a.m. email from you, Mark, or Rannon right. in months. Yep. yep. So, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that, actually. Yeah, early early on, you were certainly getting that because mm -hmm. the uh, the there, there was lots time? of opportunity for yeah. improvement. And whenever you're again back to the workflow conversation, you know, whenever your workflow has been this for so long, and all of a sudden, instead of doing thirty vaccines a day in your normal flu shot day or fifty, whatever it happens to be, and you're you're doing three hundred, uh, and there are ninety five percent new patients to your pharmacy, and so you're trying mm -hmm. to input patient profile, find yeah. insurance information, you know, do all the, do all that stuff. Uh, it, it, it was taking seven and eight minutes per person right. to add a new patient process, a claim, and you multiply that by 200, 250 people a day. And all of a sudden you have, uh, really made, made your day that much harder and longer. So, so appreciate yeah. everything y'all done to help with that. So the, the nice thing that'll actually come out of that and is live now, we actually were able to take that bulk uploader and put a become a patient where you can put on your web page and a patient can go through and enter all their information and that'll flow directly into Pioneer now. Um, and then we rolled out a couple of beta locations on the, the scheduler. Obviously, we tried to go people who were a little bit slower than you. On, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to beta test the scheduler with 30,000 vaccines, so we slowed that down a little bit. I would not have been your beta tester anyway. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. We, we, we have Come a process that is big. working at the moment. Yeah, no, so I, I, was, I, I didn't even I think to ask. I was not anxious to, to, yeah. to change that, but thank you for, for that. So next year for flu shots, though, <laughs> yeah. we should be pretty cool. dialed in. Excellent, excellent. I mean, I think that's this is what's great about the last 18 months, as perverse as that sounds, is that um, I think all of us are looking at pharmacy completely different than we did in January or February of 2020. I mean, I think we can, we've seen where revenue can be generated from. That's not necessarily putting pills in a bottle. I think that's right. exciting. Yes. Um, yeah. you know, I worked, I worked in our, in our store on, on Saturday morning and I did six or eight immunizations, uh, which were a combination of flu and COVID before I filled my first, um, traditional prescription. Uh, and, and that, those were the first people that came in the door. They were looking for those, those clinical services. Now, whether, whether or not that is a long, long term sustainable uh, thing, I think that's yet to be determined. But, but I do think it's gotten patients thinking different about who we are and what we do. I think it's gotten us thinking differently about, you know, what we're capable of doing and how we're able to stretch ourselves and do things different, which comes to, are we in the right space? It comes to, 
you know, what other, what other needs do we have from a billing perspective? All those questions that we haven't been forced to even address, I think, are really coming to light now. Uh, and that's a good thing because that's going to challenge our businesses to grow, expand, get better, become more efficient. Uh, and I, I couldn't be more excited about that part of the last, of the last year and a half. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I think you said it last, right? Necessity is one of those, one of those Necessity cool sayings, the right? There you go. Invention. There you yeah, go. There it. you go. That's I what told it you I used that all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was one of those, yeah, I guess time frames. you can't even say a year, 18 months that really just made people do something different. It, it, it really did. And it's been fun to watch. Like as, as bad as it's, as it's been, it's been kind of cool to see everyone tackle something a little differently. And to, to more importantly, to know that you can do it once you got yeah. out there and yeah. did it. Yeah. And, and I think that's what that, that fear of not knowing that you can do it, I think, has stopped people for years from being willing to try something new and almost being forced into a corner to do it because mm-hmm. your patients are demanding it and society needs it. Uh, is kind of affirming to, to know after all the years of doing things the same way, eh, I can do something different. Or right. I can add something yeah. new. And yeah, it's hard. And yeah, there are are challenges, but yeah, there's reward to it as well. And I think patients are happier than ever humanly possible with their independent community pharmacist after the last year and a half, because every step of, of everything we have done has been for them. Uh, and they recognize that and mm-hmm. they appreciate it. I think, uh, the healthcare team sees what we have done, the physicians, the hospitals, um, et cetera. And I think they are appreciative and couldn't be happier with, with what we've done. And, and overall, I think even the payers appreciate that yeah. if we hadn't been there as independent pharmacists, um, then the cracks would have been huge that patients would have fallen through. Uh, and when you look at communities all across the, the country, the, the groups that stepped up and really pulled a lot of these communities through the early days of the immunizations, they were the independent pharmacies. And but for us, what would have happened? And I think that's a that's a great message that we all should take pride in. Yeah, especially when you're talking about reaching the most vulnerable, you know, the most accessible. I, that's why I think it's here to stay to a degree. Like I think people enjoyed or relied on a accessible healthcare provider that you couldn't get into anywhere else almost. Yeah, I think that's. That's right. You couldn't get into uh, in a lot of places. Uh, and yet we were still open our doors late at night. We were right. still coming to a pharmacy on Sunday. We were still, you know, meeting meeting people at a pharmacy to do a test or to, you know, drive to their house to do right. uh, a vaccination or whatever it is. I mean, that's that's the beauty of of uh, what we are as as uh, independent pharmacy owners. Yeah. You know, I think the one thing that was surprising to me was watching a lot of rural communities and their the ability to really promote public health in a way that hadn't been done before in a pharmacy, or at least hadn't really been publicized well before. You know, so I, I think when you go back and look at what the effects on public health in the future, you know, there are, you know, campaigns around social determinants of health and there's campaigns around these all these other things, but nobody really thought about how fast we needed to push that down into the pharmacies because they're the ones in the communities. And, you know, even historically when, you know, an independent pharmacy went out of business in a community, the collective shrug of everybody else in in the state was kind of like, meh. But now I think you're going to look at it and say, man, if this independent pharmacy disappears from this community, the community as a whole is worse. 
Um, and so we, I think we have evidence now that you can go out and say, hey, these pharmacies have to exist. You have to pay them a living wage to dispense the drugs and provide the services. And maybe it means that you have to pay them more for being in a rural area than you would pay, you know, in an urban or a suburban affluent area. So I, I think you have different, you know, avenues to approach why it's super important to have that pharmacy on the street corner more now than we ever have before. Absolutely. And don't, and don't forget, I know it's, it's the easy thing to say rural area because that's what a lot of policymakers think of, but right. don't, don't forget the, the, the study that came out over the, the, the spring and summer about the pharmacy deserts in, in the South, uh, South side of uh, Chicago area. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is, is, as uh, urban as it gets, and yet right. because of the same kind of broken economic model uh, where we're going to force you to put pills in the bottle as cheap as humanly possible, mm-hmm. um, a lot of those uh, are in the managed Medicaid spaces in particular, uh, have closed and aren't there. Um, and, you know, going three miles in a city may be just as difficult as going, you know, 20, 20 miles in a rural area. And so I, I think pharmacy accessibility period um, is really critical to keeping people healthy. Uh, and uh, our health plans need to understand that. The PBMs need to understand that. And, and really the, the policymakers need to fully, fully understand that. Right. Yeah, that, that's huge. You're right. It's it's not rural. It's pharmacy deserts. Yeah, that's um, right. I, there was a big one that kind of came out um, where a, a, a pharmacy had closed. I think it was a Walgreens had closed in an area of Oakland where that was the only place that was available. And like it just destroyed that community they had no ability to get to a pharmacy at all and there were no other ones on the bus line it's completely nuts no it's it's crazy and it's the, the same thing from a health perspective is true about grocery stores mm-hmm. uh, and other you know non-cheap highly processed fast food uh in in a lot of these areas whenever whenever inexpensive and easily accessible food disappears your health uh, expenses and uh, and your your uh, uh, bad outcomes go up. I mean, if, if all that's left is a, a Taco Bell on your on your corner or a, a McDonald's, it's not as it's not it's not going to be good out, out, outcomes. In the same way, is true when there's no pharmacy uh, in those areas. So you know, we've got to be really cognizant of that. That that uh, we are not just important to healthcare; we are vital to healthcare. And it's an, it's I think the, the pandemic has helped to demonstrate that. So you're going to open up a grocery store now? <laughs> yeah. I have no desire to open no, up a grocery no. store. You don't want to open up another small margin business? Mm, yeah. Uh, no. Well, I'm working on that, but not another grocery <laughs> not store. Another grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so I want to kind of talk through a little bit about kind of an update. You know, so obviously Supreme Court threw out PCMA's case basically against um, – you know, versus Rutledge and the Act 900 in Arkansas. I wanted to know if there was an update from like how that's kind of being enforced. Because really, I think what Act 900 was about, Scott, obviously, you know it way better than me, but it was around having a, a clear path to, absol- you know, resolve anything like paying, I'm going to just say generally payments below cost and things like that. So is there, is there been any more efforts around PCMAs? to have a different angle to try to attack it or, or is it kind of been, okay, we've, we finally got some wins in enforcing what we set out to do originally. Yeah. Well, remember the upshot of Rutledge versus PCMA was about whether or not the States had the ability to write laws that impacted pharmacy pricing in those self-funded plans. So the ERISA plan. So that was really the up, the up, the upshot was yes, States can do that. So I think what you've seen, 
since the last time we visited uh, is a number of states take a swing at doing that. Uh, my home state of Arkansas, the, the State Pharmacist Association, John Vinson and his crew um, amended our PBM licensure law that we passed in 2018 so that PBMs that um, work for self-funded plans are now required to be licensed in the state of Arkansas. And that inc includes a whole hodgepodge of, of pricing provisions, uh, which is important. A lot of other states have filed similar bills this year. I don't know that I have seen any others that have passed that directly impact those self-funded plans, but I know that there have been a, at least a dozen that have been filed uh, this year. Uh, from an enforcement perspective, um, uh, just just yesterday I was talking to John Vinson at the State Pharmacist Association and we were talking about um, a consent order that OptumRx enter, entered into with the Arkansas Insurance Department over the summer where they were essentially fined $50,000 for violating the, um, the ban on effective rates in the state of Arkansas and they had to submit a, um, a notice of corrective action to the state insurance department on how they were going to begin um, complying and, and making those pharmacies whole. And so um, uh, John John and I haven't talked today to see if there was any upshot uh, to, to that. But I mean, I think it's encouraging when you see regulators not just recognizing that there are laws, but taking actions to enforce those laws, holding those uh, PBMs accountable. Uh, and making sure that such violations don't happen again. that That's what it's going to take to uh, to continue to level the playing field. And I'm encouraged that we're starting to see more and more of that happen. You've had other states pass bills uh, this this past year. Uh, I know uh, one of our neighboring states, Tennessee, has passed a, a new PBM bill. I know Alabama uh, passed a new PBM bill. Right. Um, I mean, there's I could go over a whole bunch of them. I know Minnesota has been looking at at language, Wisconsin's been looking at language. Michigan has a a pretty aggressive bill that's uh, that's been uh, filed that I think is going to be um, later this fall come come back up to uh, to some more discussion. So I think we're really seeing the momentum from Rutledge v. PCMA uh, continue to roll, and more importantly, I think we're seeing momentum from uh, the state of Ohio and the state of yeah. Mississippi and the state of Illinois and the state of Arkansas having these uh, settlements with. Centene, Centene and their PBMs yep. for the bad acts that they have have done. I mean, our Attorney General Leslie Rutledge just last week announced a fifteen million dollar settlement against Centene for um, for for basically artificially infl inflating prices in in state uh, Medicaid programs. Illinois had a similar um, announcement the same day, and of course, like I mentioned, Ohio and Mississippi have already have already had settlements against them for for uh, similar activity. So, I mean, I think we're the momentum continues to be there. Um, just remember, process not a not a uh, destination on all sorts of of these legal and legislative activities. No, oh, that's so true. There's no and there's no ever spike in the football, and you're done. I guess. No, you can you can smile. Just remember that they're always looking for the next loophole, and yeah. we gotta right. we gotta remember it's a game of whack-a-mole. So yeah. uh, you need three mallets in your hand, not just the one from the Chuck E. Cheese. Yes, right. you know, and yeah. hopefully the the focus doesn't go away off of this because it seems like it's one of the very few things right now that seem to have pretty wide bipartisan support across the country, where everything else is polarized. It seems like the one unifying thing is everyone's hatred of a PBM. I think I think there's a lot of, uh, of distrust for the industry right now, um, and I, I think they brought a lot of that on themselves. And so that's a uh, that's good for us to be able to shine a light on it. 
Yeah. And I think the pandemics lended itself to how important keeping independent pharmacy, you know, I, I guess stable or, or whatever, you know, I think that's also helped put a, put a spotlight on making sure we can't let this fail. Right. Yeah, right. that's right. That's right. I think we're, we are an indispensable piece of the healthcare system and, uh, you, you let us go away and you can't get us back. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's just not, uh, you can't let, you can't let that happen. Scott, man, it was great to have you on. Yeah, it's my pleasure guys. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.